0: Today we're looking at our relationships and considering how they impact our spiritual life. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. The spiritual battles we face are certainly very real. The battles of the future will require you to be growing and trusting God even more than you do today. So how can you be the person that you need to be to face the challenges of the future? Well, your relationships play a big part in your spiritual life and growth and your ability to handle those challenges. Who you hang out with affects your thought life and your choices. True spiritual health will require you to pay attention to your relationships. So today we're getting a little closer to completing our look at the five areas of life that influence our overall spiritual health and potential for growth and we'll review real quick Overall, spiritual life, we're talking about our communion with God. We've mentioned three areas that really are part of our spirituality our doctrine, our affection, our love, or our and our experience. So, doctrine, affection, and experience are parts of our areas of our spirituality. Our mental life this includes our education, but it also includes things like our emotional, psychological, and there's different social aspects of our mental life as well. It's how we think and act. It's also how we feel. It has a lot to do with how we handle stress, how we relate to others, how we make choices. Our physical life. From birth to death, we are physical beings. Can't get away from that. We have real limitations. You don't have control over much of your physical life, but you do have choices that you are able to make which influence your health and your ability to live well. Exercise and diet are, of course, key, and we spent a whole show thinking about that the last show we actually looked at our emotional life there are many different types of emotional skills um, also called emotional intelligence that you can work on that you can practice that you can gain that will help you in your relationships that's a place where they're really important but things like emotion regulation Uh, practicing gratitude and empathy and kindness. They can help you relate better to yourself, understanding who you are and others. And really the the bottom line of our emotional health is not allowing our feelings to lead us, but to recognize they are important. They can be signs of deeper issues or they can tell us something about ourselves or other people. Uh, There are times when our emotions say something we need to listen to, but we don't want our emotions to lead the train. We need truth to lead the train and make sure that our emotions communicate what they need to today, we're looking at our relationships. Now, humans are interconnected. There is no getting around that. We are part of this network of people. Your family is part of that. Your community is part of that. Uh, Your church family, your work family or community is part of that. Uh, We have to and are meant to connect with others. You know, if we don't, we don't develop well. We, we have some kind of um, often mental or emotional or physical issue even if we don't have proper connections as we grow and mature. And this is true for us physically, and I think it's true for us spiritually as well. Strong, fulfilling relationships really help us to build and maintain emotional health, but they also contribute to our spiritual health, to our physical health, to our, our mental health. We need people, we just, we can't get around that. Okay, that is absolutely true. Totally get that. I don't think any of us really gonna argue very strongly that we, we can live a life completely without people. We need them at some level, and people may disagree about how much of a relationship we need with other people, but certainly we can, we can agree that we need some degree, some amount of relationship in our life. Now, here we come to the problem. We are relational beings, but the sin that destroyed our relationship with God also ruined our relationship with others. That's why life's greatest hurts, as well as life's greatest joys, come through relationships with people. And that is a direct quote from um, a website called Global Disciples and it's from Canada, so it's .ca. Uh, It's called Christian Relationships Relating with Others. There's an article, a blog post that they wrote, and I really like the way they put that. We are relational beings, but sin, which we understand sin completely just decimated our relationship with God, really uh, harmed it, completely ruined it without God doing something on his side. But it also ruined our relationship with other people. However, because God created us, To be relational, God's greatest joys, life's greatest joys, and life's greatest hurts come through people. The hurts come because of sin. The joys come because we were created to be in these relationships. What that means is we have to deal with the fact that people are a pain. (laughs) That's, That's no joke. People are a pain. And yet, we need people on so many levels. I mean... On the one hand, sinners abound. You cannot do anything, go anywhere, talk to anyone without some potential for hurt, for harm, for insincerity, uh, for flat-out meanness. That's just true, and that's true even in the church. When you get out into the workplace, into the community at large, oh man, we, we as humans are so capable of hurting each other. But on the other hand, some of our our best comfort comes through people. Our strongest encouragement often comes through people. You know, Jesus gave us this call to love and serve people. (laughs) So we we have both sides to this. Yes, our greatest hurts come from people. But a lot of the comfort that God gives us, He brings us through people. A lot of the encouragement comes through people. Uh, If we examine passages like we always look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and the equipping for ministry, well, that comes through people that God gave the church. So if the hurt's there, but the potential for growth and ministry is also there, what do you do? How, How do you deal with the truth that relationships are frequently not fun, but on the other hand, often they are incredibly joyful, and there's lots of rejoicing because of people in our life. Well, there are lots of options. I mean, you can, you can be a hermit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that that's really going to work out well for very many people. You can avoid as many people as possible and, and be a hermit. And recently I've come across a couple of stories of people that were hermits and lived for just years where they didn't really talk to anybody, didn't relate to anybody, um, yeah, And we look at that and go, that was just odd. I mean, there's a certain level of disconnect that a lot of people have that are, are near us. We say, well, don't really talk to anybody. They're not very relational. But to truly be a hermit and not talk to anybody for years, for decades, okay, there's something wrong <laughs> in that case. So you could try that, but it doesn't work for very many people. I don't think it's what God intended, ultimately. Well, you can live near people in in the same neighborhood as people without any real connection to them. And unfortunately, I think this is what a lot of people end up with, whether they intentionally chose it or not. We we talk to people, but we don't actually get past a surface-level relationship. You know, it's not uncommon for people to attend a church for years and not really get to know anyone. I mean, they know their names, but... They never have a meal with them. They never sit down and talk to them. They don't really know what struggles they're going through. They don't really know who they are. So it's possible to live near other people, even sort of with other people, and not really be in a relationship with them. It's possible to live near people and never meet. If you live in some neighborhoods in the United States, you may have a neighbor that lives across the street that you literally never talk to. That's the kind of world that we live in today. I don't think it's the kind that we really should desire, however. Jesus calls us into relationships with others. I think that's true. and I think as you look at the New Testament, it's hard to get away from that as a truth. So the question is, why in the world did he do that? And I think there's two Uh, maybe really big answers, and we'll, we'll probably stick with those today. The first one is, we, the church, the disciples of Jesus, the people who are following Him and trying to be like Him, we are God's plan A to reach the world with the good news of His Son. I mean, there is no plan B. This is it. God has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation And redemption. Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ. Well, an ambassador has to talk to people. He has a message for others, and we have the message of reconciliation that the world needs to hear. So we are the plan A. God has a purpose for us, and that purpose includes all of these relationships that can be so very messy. You know, Mark 12 29 to 31. Jesus is is sharing what are the the two great commandments. So he says, first of all, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And that one, a lot of us, we would say, we don't have any problem with that. Well, I mean, we have a problem with that because it is... Uh, it is impossible for us, really, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to. We have a desire. But it's one of those things where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The, the flesh continually draws us away from God. So we understand that as a goal, and we, we like that. That's the first commandment. But the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now there we've got problems. <laughs> a lot of us... We don't, wanna, we don't wanna love our neighbor. We don't even wanna talk to our neighbor. We don't wanna have to like our neighbor. We don't have to have anything to do with our neighbor. But the intention is that we, we relate well to them, that we love them, that we care for them. Uh, and that, that, my friend, is not easy, but it's not complicated. And so I, I think sometimes we conflagrate the two. It, it's not that it's, it's hard to understand. I mean, it is super hard to do, but it's not a complicated truth. We love and serve others for the sake of the gospel. Not because it's best for me, but because it's best for the glory of God. That really is what it boils down to. Well, a big part of this plan A is our relationships with the world that are focused on Uh, Ultimately, they're focused on glorifying God. So as we have a relationship with God, people need to see that. And they can't see that if we're not in a relationship with us. If they don't know who we are, if they don't see how we relate to God, if we don't have a certain level of relationship with them, then our life can't be a testimony. And if we're not talking with them, then certainly our words are not a testimony either. If we're the plan A, it, it absolutely requires that we pursue relationships with other people, I, that's that's the bottom line. So it's not easy, but it's not complicated. It's it's just hard to do because we tend to focus on ourselves a lot more than we focus on God, and even less. If you're like me, I know this is something that I have uh, historically noted in my life. <laughs> that it, it is one part of wanting to follow God and, and love Him and serve Him, but then. There's part of me who is not so interested in other people. People are difficult. People are, are hard to love. People require so much time and energy. And if you're like me, I am an introvert. So people are exhausting. So how do you deal with that? Well, I think it ultimately I have to go back to I, I love God. I want to be what he wants me to be. And part of that process of becoming the, the man that he wants me to be is to learn to love other people the way that he does, to see them the way that he does. And that's true in the world at large, but that's also true for the second reason God calls us into relationships. So the first one is we're the plan A to reach the world. The second one is it's our loving service and use of our gifts that builds up the church towards maturity. You know, Jesus is building his church and... He is using us to do that. And maturity really builds unity in the church. As we, as we grow, we are more unified. We're unified around Christ. I think unity is one of those marks of a growing and maturing uh, body of believers. And unity glorifies God. That's really what we're seeking to do. Passages, and I, I think I'll, we'll go ahead and look at this whole passage. It's a little bit long, but 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 to 26... Says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would, be, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But, in, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, no, much more, these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is really the picture that we should have as a a body of believers, a group of people who are following Jesus together. We should have I love the way 20, verse 25 and 26 put it. We should have this care for each other. We should genuinely love each other and desire one another's best. And if one of our members suffer, then we all should be willing to jump in and suffer and do our part. We are united. We are part of this, this beautiful body that, that Jesus calls the church. Now, ultimately, the fact that Jesus is returning should motivate us to love each other, comfort each other, and use our gifts to build each other up. You know, that is a, a big part of our motivation for being part of this body of Christ. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11 talks a lot about this, and it says that in verse 2 that you know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So you know that one day uh, the day of the Lord is coming. We know that. We've, we've been told that. If you believe that Jesus meant what He said and He said what He meant and that uh, he, is, he is going to return, that one day there will be a judgment, you believe all these things, then you believe it and you also know that nah, we don't know when that's going to be. So we need to be, and He says, verse 6, let us watch and be sober. We need to be ready. So those who are watching and sober, verse 8, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is our response to knowing that the Lord's coming back. Faith, love, and hope. And these are repeated throughout the New Testament. Faith, love, and hope. So then what's the result of our understanding that He is coming back and that one day we'll meet Him and that we don't know when that's going to be? Verse 11, Therefore, comfort each other, and edify one another. And then he's, in this case, writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he said, just as you are doing. So you're doing this, and you keep doing it. You have a motivation for doing it. You have a reason for doing it. It's not just because it's a good idea. (laughs) There's a reason. Jesus is coming back, and he wants his bride to be ready. And he's given us the gifts that we need to build each other up. Toward maturity, toward unity. So when it says comfort and edify, you really can't do that without a relationship. You know, these two things that we are God's plan A and that we have a responsibility to be salt and light in the world, and the truth that God has given us gifts that the church needs to grow toward unity, these are important. They don't negate the fact that relationships are hard and i think actually sometimes that's the point in the church that god intends for these difficult relationships to be the tools that he uses to mold us and you think about the way tools are used whether it's in woodworking or in clay or anything like that where you're shaping one thing with another one the thing that's doing the shaping is usually the harder harder tool you know you use iron to cut wood uh, you can use even plastic or something to cut soft clay, but it's, it's soft and malleable. So our relationships are like that. The relationship is hard, but it's the right tool to shape us. So God brings the people into our life, into our community, into our church, into our family that we need and the ones that need us. And This is where we are to be intentional in comforting and edifying each other. We are to use our gifts intentionally. Yes, relationships are hard, but there's no kidding around that. Sin is a real thing, even in the life of a believer. And we are easily swayed in our hearts to choose our own way rather than to choose Jesus. And when we do that, it typically brings trouble into our relationships. There's almost never a time, I would say there's probably never a time, when choosing selfishness is going to be the thing that's going to be just perfect for your relationships. Whether that's your relationship with God, or your relationship with the church, or your relationship with your neighbor. Just choosing to be absolutely selfish is very seldom going to be the right thing. And I realize that there are people who will hear this and hear that, oh, I'm supposed to just be a doormat and let let myself be run over. And they're not talking about that. There is a time saying the right thing for the glory of God and for my relationships is for me to take a break. <laughs> I, I need to be the person God wants me to be first. And only then can I be the right person in the relationship. But I, I would argue that that's not being selfish. That's putting God first. God has a design for your, for your life and you need to put him first above your other relationships The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be pursuing Him to be that right person. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. You're the right person to to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you are a follower of Jesus, and you're learning, and you're growing... Then one of the questions we should be asking ourselves is: Do my relationships look like the relationships that Jesus had with people? And one of the things you notice is that He occasionally, occasionally left people that were looking for Him because hey, He said, "Hey, I've got, I've got work to do. I came for a purpose. I came to do my Father's will, and I need to keep going." so he could have given more time with people who just who wanted to be around him who loved him and that would have been awesome and that would have been putting them above himself that would have been humility but it wouldn't have been glorifying god and i think therein is the rub sometimes we want to choose ourself absolutely to be selfish to put ourselves first it's not part of putting god first but if the right thing to glorify god to be ready to serve Him, is to take that rest, to step away. We need to do that. For those of you who are like me, who are intro, uh, in, um, introverts, <laughs> it's important to get that rest. Otherwise, there's a point where you just you blow up, uh, you burn out, and you cannot go on. Well, that doesn't glorify God, and it doesn't help your neighbor. So there are times when I need to take a little time away to recharge, to pursue God, to be the right person in my neighbor's life. So I have to ask myself: Do my relationships look like the relationships that Jesus had with people? And you know, Philippians two, one to eleven, is an is an awesome passage. It's really, a good challenge for us, particularly you know, there. Verse four says, "Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others." That's absolutely true. But understand that in the context of this, what does verse eleven say? That every, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This ultimately is the reason why we put other people first. It's the reason why we humble ourselves. It's the reason why we try to have the mind of Christ, it says in verse 5 there. Humility, putting God first, uh, really considering others and their interest, is part of living to the glory of God. But you don't put the other person and their desires above God either, just like you don't put yours there. And I think sometimes that is hard for us, particularly those of us who are people pleasers. So Jesus humbled himself for the glory of God. He wasn't a doormat. I mean, think about it. He ran people out of the temple with a whip. He also did that for the glory of God. And if that's what your life takes, then you need to be ready to stand up for the glory of God. And I think a, a lot of people are more willing to be a doormat than to stand up for God. And the thing is, neither, neither of those is, is, uh, is right. You, you don't want to be a, a doormat. You want to be the person God wants you to be in other people's life. And sometimes that means a whip. Sometimes it means a strong word. But a lot of times it does mean humility. And we struggle with that. We struggle to speak strongly into a friend's life and we struggle to serve them. Both of those can be equally difficult. Jesus lived a life that lifted up God. That was his purpose. That desire to lift up God, to glorify him, showed itself in every action and in every relationship. And that's really our goal. It's not that we are um, putting ourselves down. It's that we are lifting God up and looking for how can God use me in the lives of others? How do I esteem them well? I like the way it puts that. Um, in verse, was it verse 3 of Philippians 2 let each esteem others better than himself I'm putting God first and I'm going to serve others and help them learn to glorify God just as well Uh, as a follower of Jesus this is the calling that we have to live a life that is pleasing to God one that glorifies him in every relationship as we put him first and help others see how great that he is it really isn't an option to avoid people our choice is how will we relate to them Will our interactions with others make the message of the cross clear and allow the hope of the gospel to shine bright? I certainly pray that they do. That is my goal in my life, and hopefully that is your goal in your life. Life is about our relationships. We have our relationship with God first and foremost. We have our relationship with the church where we are Supposed to be equipping, supposed to be building up, supposed to be helping the church to mature to christ 's likeness, and then we have this relationship with the world, where we are salt and light. we are to take the good news of the gospel to the world, and then and around all of this, something we didn 't really talk about a whole lot. We have our relationship with ourself, the way that we view ourself, the way that we think about ourself. And ultimately, in light of who God says that we are, as we embrace the truths, what God says about us, then we're better able to accept His love. We're better able to serve Him. Uh, And I think that question ultimately of how we view ourself takes, takes care of itself as we serve Him. The question... We've asked it a couple times already, is not where will I be when I face the most difficult challenge in my life, but who will I be? Thanks for joining me today. If you have thoughts or questions about your spiritual life, about your relationships, write me at Norman at RunWithHorses.net. I'd love to hear from you. You know, our lives are complicated. All of these areas we've been talking about interact in many different ways. The good thing to remember is that God is using all of these in the process of sanctification preparing us for the day we meet Him face to face. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that great day. Until then, keep running.